You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Hi, folks. Be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message, to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment. Here he is, and is it cold enough for you? You know, the sun is shining, but it is cold. You know, yeah. I'm going to have you back off of the mic a little bit. For some reason, man, you were coming in like a jet plane <laughs> on a fighter deck. A little loud. All right. Good morning. Yeah, Good it's morning. chilly outside. It is. It's cold. But sun's shining, and, you know. Do you still have livestock? I do not have any horses anymore. You I, sold everything? I did. You I, traded to the cause. I know, I know. I never thought the day would come. Wow. But I'm I'm horseless. And I'm even older than you. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, what are we going to talk about today, dear we friend? We are going to talk about doctors in the Old West, but more specifically, the female doctors. Oh. Now, I'm going to start with a quote here, okay? It says, higher education for women produces monstrous brains and puny bodies, abnormally active cerebration, and abnormally weak digestion. Now... You're not looking for a comment, are you? That is what they thought of for a woman that wanted to go into the medical field. I am That's not going to touch that. You're on your own. But, you know, in the Old West, they were very, very stubborn about accepting female doctors. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, uh, women in the 1800s who uh, really wanted, had a desire to help the sick, they studied, they worked. <clears throat> Boy, excuse me. Uh, they struggled for places in medical schools, and after receiving their th- degrees, they studied, worked, and struggled to find a place to practice their vocation. Mm-hmm. So the Western Frontier, you know, they didn't have many doctors, so this provided really an o- opportunity to open a medical practice. So maybe that TV series was formulated after one of these lady doctors. That yeah. doctor, what was it? Dr. Quinn, yeah. Medicine woman, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. But, you know, it did not, however, assure that they would have patients. I mean, they may have come out here and opened up an office, but that didn't guarantee that they were going to have patients. Yeah. And for a while, it seemed that most trappers, miners, and immigrants would rather suffer and die than consult a female, a woman doctor. What was, why was that my I uh, just, uh, I think it was just the attitude among the male doctors. Oh, so, but the lady doctor repairing a head in, wound on an injured farmer, she'd have to endure criticism. The the male doctors uh, didn't think that she should be there at all, and they actually hoped to prevent the women from entering the field of medicine. And they publicly chastised these women, and they actually referred to them as, quote, unnatural or lacking in the ability to know their place. Mm, you know, not good. That, uh, and a protest actually by the male students at Harvard University in 1850 summed up kind of the position the men had. It said, quote, resolved that no woman of true delicacy would be willing in the presence of men to listen to the discussions of the subjects that necessarily come under the consideration of the student of medicine. Resolved that we object to having the company of any female forced upon us. You know, for some reason, 
I hope that everybody listening to this program this morning will not uh, just all of a sudden tune in and think that we're talking about today. I get oh. a feeling I'm going to get a lot of hate mail. Okay. We're back to 1850, folks. Okay, good, Long good, time ago. Good, good. And I've got to say, one of the very, very best doctors I had was a female doctor here really? in Burley. She okay. was amazing. Okay. She was great. So, but, you know, in the mid to late 19th century, uh, as the country continued expanding beyond Independence, Missouri, they began to civilize their frontier. There were fewer than 600 female or women physicians in the United States, and 10% of those decided to follow the migration and come out and provide services for the immigrants. Now, these women who dared to defy the barriers in the medical profession to attend school and to get a degree, they were convinced that settlers would eventually want their help. And they opened up offices in frontier towns, mining camps, the result of these few really courageous women uh, braving hardship. Uh, it kind of changed the way society viewed the women's roles in in society. Let me ask you this question then real quick. What about the schools themselves? I mean, where was the icebreaker to let some of the women into the medical schools? Well, it, it came, but not without resistance. So to get into the medical school was a real challenge. Yeah. Now, there's a doctor by the name of Eliza Cook, and she had a really strong impact on the male-dominated community in not too far from here, Carson Valley, Nevada. Really? Men who felt women were, quote, not blessed with the temperament or disposition to be doctors. Mm. Well, they changed their minds after watching this Dr. Cook. Uh, she worked well. She was a tall, slender lady from Salt Lake City, Utah. She set broken bones. She performed operations. She delivered generations of babies in this small Nevada town. She was not only a skilled physician, but she also actually was a pharmacist. And a lot of them did that, you know, back then. The doctors would make up their own uh, mixture and concoctions. Uh, that's what Doc Adams did on Gunsmoke. He did. So we know that's true. Oh, absolutely. So, And she actually is considered to be the first woman doctor in Nevada, this Dr. Cook. Now, another daring female physician to practice in the American West was Dr. Minnie Howard. And after attending Kansas City Medical School, Dr. Howard established a practice in, actually not far from us, Zeb, Pocatello. Really? Pocatello, Idaho. Now, Dr. Howard established a practice there. She not only cared for the alien in the booming gold mining camp, but also tended to the health needs of the Indians in the Fort Hall Indian Reservation. Hmm. And actually, she was uh, instrumental in building the Pocatello General Hospital. Really? Believe it or not. Yeah. Really? But in time, you know, the wild frontier would become civilized, and a lot of tough-minded women, doctors like Cook and Howard, would pour into the plains and pave the way, really, for professional women to come out. Now, in Cripple Creek, Colorado, there's a Dr. Susan Anderson, and she set up her practice to help save the lives of a lot of the injured uh, miners. And uh, there was a Dr. Stanford, and she was out in the wilds of Deadwood, South Dakota, and she had some patients you might recognize, Calamity Jane. Buffalo Bill Cody. She actually was uh, their doctor. Well, if Deadwood lived up to its name, they had a lot of patience. I don't think she lacked the business. Were they the same attitude about women nurses? I don't think so, because I think they thought, okay, they can do the dirty work, so to speak. But anyway, the female physicians were subjected to more than ridicule when they decided to practice their vocation. They sometimes risked their own life. I mean, they did the same thing the men did. They would go out uh, to patients during the night, in the winter, in the cold, the rain. But uh, anyway, 100 years after the first American female physician graduated from medical school, this was in 1849. Oh, my. Only a little over 5% 
the students entering the field were women. So, but they uh, they made their way, and I'm going to talk to you about one particular do- uh, doctor. Her name was Bethenia Owens. Okay, now I want you to picture this. Okay, she's in her house. There's a, lo- a loud knock on the door. A uh, she answers the door. This Bethenia, and uh, there's a messenger on the other side of the door, and he hands her a letter. Okay. Now, the monogram on the envelope showed that the letter came from a Dr. Palmer, who was a prominent physician in the northwestern area of the United States. Okay. So the messenger waited patiently for Bethenia to break the seal on the envelope and read the enclosed note. And uh, she said, uh, it's too bad. She says, one of our older citizens passed away, and the six local physicians who treated him at one time or another want to do an autopsy. And as one of the newest doctors in town, I'm invited to attend the operation. So you get the picture here. She's kind of on the outside, and they want her to come and help with the, an autopsy. So they, okay, let me guess this, and see if, how close I am. They just wanted to see if she was any worth at all. You're, gonna, you're on the right track. Okay. So she knew the invitation was meant as a joke, okay, and was determined to kind of turn the tables on these guys. Because uh, there were, again, very few women in medicine in 1872, and by and large, they were not well-received by the men doctors. Well, Bethenia kind of studied the note, carefully considering the response, and she told the messenger, she said, give Dr. Palmer and the others my regards and tell them I'll be there in a few minutes, which they didn't expect. Now, this is actually in Roseburg, Oregon right now. Oh, really? Yeah. Now, Bethenia followed uh, uh, behind the messenger to the Dr. Palmer's office and where she waited outside, and she listened in as the, the messenger relayed the information she had given him and heard the doctors laughing, you know, and uh, Bethenia opened the door. One of the doctors walked towards her, stretched his hand out, and uh, he said to her, quote, Do you know the autopsy is on the male organs? And he kind of laughed. You're on your own. No, Bethany replied. But she said, one part of the human body should be as sacred to the physician as another. The mood in the room quickly changed to one of disbelief and then an instant instantly to indignation. Well, Dr. Palmer objected to Bethenia's presence during the procedure, and uh-huh. he actually wanted her to leave. I see. So Bethenia was uh, unmoved by this, and she stood her ground. She said, I came here by written invitation. I will leave it to a vote whether I go or stay. Mm-hmm. But first, I would like to ask Dr. Palmer, what is the difference between the attendance of a woman at a male autopsy and the attendance of a man at a female autopsy? Yeah. Okay, so she's turning the tables on these guys. Yeah, and I'm going to leave you completely alone. <laughs> and we're headed down. Okay. Yeah, buddy. So for a few moments, none of the male physicians replied, and she had presented to them a, a question, you know, uh, can I stay or not? Uh, and they kind of have underestimated this gal, this lady. She had a lot of determination. Well, one by one, the men slowly voted in favor of Bethenia, not only staying, but actually performing the procedure, the mm-hmm. autopsy. Mm-hmm. So news of her brave stand circulated throughout the community, and pretty soon a number of curious onlookers lined the street to look at this strange female doctor walking down the street. 
And still, a lot of the citizens, not just the doctors, but a lot of the citizens uh, strongly disapproved of a woman in that line of work. Do you have a picture of her? I do, uh, I do not. Oh, okay. Not this lady. But, you know, uh, anyway, not long after this much-talked-about event, Bethenia moved to northern Oregon where her sister, uh, with her sister and started her own medical practice. And physicians, male or female, were lacking, as I've said, in a lot of parts of the West. So Dr. Owens or Bethenia. Hope, hope, hope the need for her skills in, in Portland. Now she's in Portland, Oregon, yeah. which at that time wasn't that big. No. You know, it wasn't very uh-uh. big. But she thought that would outweigh her any reservations people might have regarding her gender. Now, Bethenia was actually born in Missouri in 1840. She immigrated to Oregon in 1843, settled in Clapsop County. By the time she turned 18, she had been married, divorced, and had a son. Mm. So... She's got some strikes against her right off the bat. She supported herself and her child by taking in laundry. She mm-hmm. did her own work. Yeah. But Bethenia's formal education was limited. At the age of 16, she could barely read and write. And anxious to learn, she jumped at an offer to attend school. How did she become a doctor? Well, that's they was a rough road. Wow. Let me just tell you. But she worked her way very hard through primary school. I guess that would be like our junior high or maybe high school. Yeah. And she did that by doing laundry for the ranch hands. And through books and lessons, she overcame the hardships associated, one, with a failed marriage and also being a single parent. Oh, my goodness. Again, things stacked up against her. She had a lot of drive. She did. And her sister persuaded her to leave Washington and return to Clatsop County. Bethenia agreed to attend and teach school in Astoria. Yeah. So she's gone, uh, you know, all the way around here. My goodness. 1861, she again enrolled in school, and within nine months, Bethenia had completed her high school education. So here she is. You she know, just all of it in a year? Yeah. Wow. So she was dedicated. But she had a fondness for nursing and caring for sick friends and family, and it sparked her desire to study medicine. So she became truly committed uh, to the calling after watching. She watched an old doctor's inability to care for a small child. So this guy was probably way older than he should have been. And here's what she said about that. She said, the old physician in my presence attempted to use an instrument for the relief of the little sufferer. And in his long, bungling and unsuccessful attempt, he severely lacerated the tender flesh of the poor little girl. Oh, my. At last, he laid down the instrument to wipe his glasses. I picked it up saying, let me try, doctor, and passed it instantly with perfect ease, bringing immediate relief to the tortured child. Oh, my goodness. Now, just based on that, I'm thinking they were doing a tracheotomy to open up the breathing. And that's just a guess on that. Well, anyway, that kind of set in motion the course of Bethenia's new profession. Uh, There's only two people that supported her. One was a trusted physician who loaned her his medical books. The other was a judge who applauded her ambition and assured her that she would win. Let me ask you quickly. You said that she went through her high school education out at Astoria, Oregon, right? She was teaching and going to school. Teaching and going to school. Where on the West Coast did she find a medical school adequate to learn all? Okay, she did. She didn't. No, not not out here. But and I'll get to that where okay. she started. I'm sorry. So, um, 
But anyway, this judge and this other doctor, they encouraged her. They said, you'll, you'll do it. You know, and uh, there's a lot of the other doctors. They laughed, told her it was a disgrace for women to enter this work. And, of course, Bithynia disregarded their warnings and criticism. She pressed forward. So here's where she went, Zeb. She began her studies at the Philadelphia Eclectic School of Medicine in 1870. Now, that's back in Philly. So, so Philadelphia, yeah. So she goes from Oregon, clear back right. to Philadelphia, which wasn't easy traveling. No, and actually, that's where pretty much... All the higher education took place was back east. And this was in? 1870. Wow. Yeah. So the students at the college learned ways to treat uh, the sick using herbs, mineral baths, natural medicines. And after being gone for two years, she returned to Roseburg, Oregon, eager to set up a practice. But still, the controversy that surrounded her after the autopsy incident forced her to open an office in Portland. And she had a, a, an office that had two rooms. Okay, patients got, sought out her unorthodox method of dealing with sickness and pain, and in no time her business was taken off. I mean, she was making a profit. Uh, she could then afford to send, by then, her 19-year-old son, George, to Berkeley Medical School, and he graduated in 1874. So she became a doctor. Her son, uh, that she'd raised, uh, became a doctor. So although her uh, medical practice was prosperous, she was not satisfied. She wanted more knowledge in her field. So in 1878, she left Portland for Philadelphia again. Going back again? Yeah. And but this time she went. Uh, she was advised to attend a school, the U- University of Michigan. Okay, and that's not too far from where you were. No, born no, and raised. No, no, I was so, born in Wisconsin. Yeah, and, but not too far. Yeah. Anyway, her daily uh, schedule was filled with lectures, clinics, laboratory work, examinations. You know, let me interrupt you quick right there because when you talk about the travel and the time in that era, from Oregon all the way back to Philadelphia, Philadelphia back to Oregon, then Oregon back to Philadelphia or University Michigan. of Michigan, you're talking literally months of travel. This, and this woman uh, says she never tired of the learning process. Wow. She never felt like she was, she had it all, so to speak. So in June of 1880 now, Dr. Owens received her second medical degree. All right? Second. So in the fall of that same year, she returned to the University of Michigan, accompanied by her son. Now together, the mother and son doctors attended advanced lectures in obstetrics and homeopathic remedies. Now, uh, most people know homeopathic means using, like, herbs and uh, things like that to, to cure people. So... Eventually, she uh, uh, settled in San Francisco, and there she met her second husband, a guy by the name of Colonel John Adair, and he was actually a Civil War veteran. They got married in 1884, and uh, three years after the wedding, they were expecting their very first child, and a sad thing, the child died after three days. So she had the one son now that was a doctor, but her this baby died at, mm. at birth. So, and at that stage, she was 47 years old. So she was older, you know, to be having babies. But anyway, she found comfort from the grief uh, of her daughter's death in caring for the sick in her medical practice. And no matter what the weather conditions were, and knowing that there was uh, no other doctor within 200 miles, she never refused to call from a patient. She attended all those in need, traveling, you know, rivers, uh, swollen rivers, flooding, uh, heat of the day, uh, night. I mean, it just amazes me, her dedication. I'm surprised at how they obtained their supplies. 
And I'm saying they just bought their own, and oftentimes back then you did not get paid. You might get a chicken or you might get uh, yeah. some beef or, or something, but, uh, you know, it, it was rough. And so her dedication just amazes me mm. how, what she did. So now get this, Eb. She was still not content. So in 1889, she enrolled in a Chicago medical school to get a postgraduate degree. Here we go back east again. Back east. Woo. This woman was amazing. So anyway, at the age of 65, Bethenia finally retired from her practice. Her focus then shifted from day-to-day medical treatment to research. She studied uh, controversial topics like back then, you know, they talked about the sterilization of uh, criminals that they considered insane. Yeah, right. And so that was something she studied a bit about, you know, if that would be a good thing or not. But she remained a staunch social and political activist until 1926. Oh, my. When she died of natural causes at the age of 86. And actually, I do have a picture of her. Do you have anything in regards to uh, her son and her second husband? I just Did they I, continue on in the medical practice? The, the husband, I don't, don't think they had that great of a marriage, and I think they basically split. I see. But the son, I don't know whatever happened to him. Yeah. But uh, if he had anywhere near the dedication that his mother had, wow. Well, I guess. So wow. to me, this is an amazing story of an amazing woman in a field where obstacles and uh, all the way around. You know? Well, there again, I go back to the travel. I mean, you're not talking about going to the airport and getting on a plane and landing three hours later back in Philly. I mean, you're yeah. talking mu- uh, a lot of long, hard, arduous exactly. track uh, travel. And again, uh, facing uh, objections from oh, the community, goodness. the other women, the, yeah. the the male doctors. But you know, she and she really paved the way, I think, for a lot of our female doctors today. Which, as I mentioned earlier, I, one of the doctors I had a few years ago was a uh, lady uh, that was just amazing. She was caring. She was very, very good. I, she left the area, but she was a great doctor for me. And that was actually, an, she saved my life. That was an interesting, interesting report this morning. Well, I really commend you on that. Well, it's uh, you know, I in my field as a chiropractor, I've studied the human body and uh, what. You know, how the body works when it's supposed to work, and when it's not working, what do you do about it? Do they need surgery? Do they need therapy? Do they, what do they need, you know? So. And it's really true, medicine is still a practice. It is, exactly. And I don't care who you are, it's an educated guess. Yeah, that's it true. It always is. I mean, that's true. You, you gather all the information you can as a physician, and then it's an educated guess. You did it again. Well, thank you, Zeb. This was, this was a fun topic for me today. Okay, so now let's look at the calendar. We're just uh, literally weeks away from Christmas. Yes. And uh, I know that you're planning on doing something really interesting on the 18th, aren't you? The Pioneer Christmases. I want to hear that. Yeah, I, it's kind of fun, some of the things, you know. So we'll, we'll get into some Pioneer Christmas uh, things that happened. I can't wait. Good job, Dr. History. Thank you, Zab. Have a good day. Thank you very much. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.